0: I am very glad to see you this morning. Every once in a while, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude to God for putting me in not only a family, but this family in particular. We are experiencing just tough, tough times for a number of our uh, family members, a lot of illness, a lot of serious illness, um, a lot of heartbreak, um, suicide in one family, a nephew. Um, just a great deal of pain, and it's a comfort to be with people that you love. One uh, lady who was taken to the hospital this morning, Lisa Bagley, said just a lot of issues with different things. She had a kidney stone recently and is having troubles with that. Back to the hospital, just want to pray for them. As is the case in so many of these circumstances, they say we just can't receive visitors right now. So <clears throat> people are in many ways suffering alone, uh, but they are not alone. One of the things that We wanted to communicate with the city. I'm sure there were some of you who were thinking. Really? This is a prayer. Yes. This is a prayer focus. Because it is a wonderful way to stay connected. And I, I get things as they happen. so I see immediately. If you post a prayer request on the city. I get it via email. And so I can pray immediately. So. I hope that you will stay connected that way. I, I I don't typically respond every once in a while I will. But I'm afraid I'll miss somebody. And so consequently I don't, you know, respond. And then I don't want anybody thinking I'm, I, 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 well, you responded to that one. But not this one. But but I wish you would. We can't, not everybody can respond every time. But please do when the Lord prompts you to just respond and say, um, lifting you up in the Lord, and let's stay connected in that way. Another way to get connected, if you're brand new at Grace Community Church, next Sunday after the service, we're going to have a discovery lunch. It won't be, you know, it'll be pizza, maybe a few sides, but um, we're we'll just meet right back in this section over here. We'll set up some tables. If you've not uh, been coming to Grace for very long, or if you've been a little while but you want to meet some people, especially. Elders um, then and staff come. I'm not exactly sure. Sarah, uh, my stepdaughter, is heading to Florence, Italy next week. She's going to be studying abroad uh, this semester. And so we have to get her to the airport on Sunday afternoon. So uh, I might be able to stay for just a moment and then have to slip out. But please come. And while we're talking about new people at Grace... uh, always we're thinking well at certain point we're going to have to you know have multiple services we're a little ways away from that don't don't panic i don't think we'll have to do it at all uh, at least until the fall but you know one of the things that that is going to determine not just whether there's space here or not in the service but whether people get connected with our body and i think most of you would say it's a body That's worth being connected to. I I would hope you would think that. But unless we have some new home groups, people are going to come in for a little bit and then they're going to walk away. And you know, sometimes it's difficult for new people to connect with already established home groups, which means we need new home group leaders for new home groups. And I just want to ask you to pray about that. If you've felt like God would have you do that, maybe then, please talk to your current home group leader if you don 't have a current home group, get in one, and then we 'll talk about being a home group leader so um but but just pray about that for our church just so that we can stay connected look we 're going to grow over the years, whether we want to or not, and we we want to do that unless we make some huge. Mistakes, which we're fully capable of making, you know, I'm not saying we're not, all of us are. But b- because of the growth of this area, it's going to happen. Let's be faithful to be in the gospel-centered, uh, gospel-preaching and, and 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 loving church that Jesus has called us to be. I think one of the reasons that... um we want people to come is that we want to be available. We want to be ones who are sharing truth as we understand it in Scripture. Um, And speaking of truth, I want to ask you, we talked about truth last week. I'm going to be talking about truth again this morning. How do you like your truth? I mean, that sort of sounds like, how do you like your eggs? You know, I mean, you want to scrambled, over-easy, hard-boiled. When it comes to truth, some people say, just give it to me straight. And others say, speak it to me gently, please. I I, I, don't, I mean, I don't mind hearing the truth, but be careful how you say it. I mean, there's truth to be told, and we hear truth all the time, from our doctors, from our accountants. Uh, Dennis Duke, good friend of mine, his first office was in Dr. Crumpler's old office. Jim and Joy, Donnie and Debbie, you remember Dr. Crumpler. I mean, they used to come around in the in the waiting room with needles. I mean, if you went to Dr. Crumpler, you were getting a shot. I can tell you that. It was it was automatic, you were getting a shot. And so when I went to see Dennis, he was in that office and I said, Oh, man, it's painful for me just to come in this office. I have so many memories. And he said, a lot of people tell me the pain I give them is a lot worse than Dr. Crumpler did. (laughs) And indeed, you may hear some unpleasant truth when your accountant talks to you in about a month or so. Um, We get truth uh, from traffic reports, from our families, with regard to all sorts of matters in our lives. And we could go on and on. There are at least two aspects of this massive truth exchange that's going on that are happening every day. First, some of the truth that we hear is really an, it's a matter of opinion or preference. You know, someone says, Well, I want to tell you the truth. You better take this job instead of that job. A lot of you were saying, Man, I wish I had one job offer, not, not two. But people tell you, I'll tell you the truth. You better do this instead of that. Or, you know, honey, you talk too much at dinner tonight. At this business dinner, you just talk too much. I see that conversation has occurred in a a number of homes here. Um, I mean, there may be a measure of truth in in such a proclamation, but there may be a good deal of uh, preference or opinion as well. The second Think about the truth exchange that's occurring. And, and it can be challenging is that we tend to tr- speak the truth in the ways that we want to receive it. So, when a person who likes to hear it straight is giving truth to someone who wants to hear it in a more gentle manner. You know, a straight talker speaks truth to a gentle soul. Well, you can imagine. There are hurt feelings. And at the same time, when a gentle soul skirts the truth or just is very careful. You know, the, tr- the other person say, just tell me what you want to say, man. Just give it to me straight. And it takes a long time to figure that out sometimes. Well, the title of today's message is The Tender Care of <laughs> the Truth Teller. <coughs> now, appropriate... <coughs> wording here in 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 a in a true title the word the the second time in front of the truth teller the t would not be capitalized but there's a point here we're talking about <coughs> the truth teller now none of us qualify as the truth teller but of course Jesus does and when i say Jesus as the truth teller. We're talking about, I'm talking about Jesus representing the Godhead, the full representation of the Godhead bodily on earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last week, as we were going through the first part of Mark 6, we observed Jesus and his followers boldly preaching the truth. And in fact, they were willing to suffer for their truth telling. And in the case of John the Baptist, Suffered the ultimate persecution. He lost his life. I I, I didn't say this last week, but I was reading about John and Herod. It said, um, uh, Herod, John lost his head and kept his conscience. Herod kept his head, but he lost his soul. John was willing to pay the ultimate price for telling the truth. When we speak in Jesus' name, it's the same as Jesus speaking. So, if we're going to speak in Jesus' name, we need to understand His heart for the people that He talked to, that He told the truth to. And look, Jesus told it straight over and over and over. I mean, you read it, and, and if, if you're one of the more gentle purveyors of truth, which I you know, tend to be a little more uh, diplomatic, you think, wow, I don't think I would have said it like this, but it's Jesus. What are you going to do? You're not going to correct him and rebuke him, although the disciples try to in our text today. Um, it, but if we're going to represent Jesus best, we need to understand his heart not only for the truth, but for the people to whom we are sharing truth, if we're going to share truth our text today is mark 6 31 to 56 it's a fairly long portion of scripture and covering three sets of miracles I'm going to do like did last week and just read the first portion of the text for now this first and longest portion of the text is the story of the feeding of the 5,000 but it's 5,000 men they just counted men in those days and the women and children could have could have caused the crowd to swell to as many as eight to even upwards of 15,000 people. And a lot of people were being fed with a very small amount of food. In this instance and in the two that follow, Jesus' care for the people goes far beyond meeting their physical needs. Look for the tender heart of the truth teller. As I read, so would you please stand as we read from Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 31, and he said to them, talking to his disciples, Jesus talking to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them, the disciples, going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them to sit, all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate. And were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. And of the fish. And those who ate the loaves. Were 5,000 men. Let's pray. Father we are overwhelmed. uh, At what. Jesus did. And. We shouldn't be. You are the creator of the universe. God in the flesh can do whatever God wants to do, whether in the flesh or out. Thank you for what that acknowledgement means. God in the flesh. We were desperate, we were sheep without a shepherd. And the great shepherd came, the bread of life, who we study and exalt this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you, be seated. For quite some time now doctors and psychologists and yoga instructors have advocated a holistic approach to life they encourage us not to compartmentalize the different components of our lives but to see how the physical the spiritual the 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 mental they all go together and so we want to see all of our lives in the whole and this may seem like a relatively new thing to those of you who are Maybe 40 years old and older. If you're younger, you just grew up with it. But it seems kind of like a, a new thing, this holistic approach to living. And yet, we're some 2,000 years behind Jesus. I mean, over and over, Jesus' compassion for all that, rep- that is represented in, in human beings is on display. He shows this compassion first for His disciples and then for the crowds. When we pick up the story in verse 31, you remember from last week that that the disciples have just come back from this mission on which Jesus had sent them. And they're all excited, uh, no doubt also though they were exhausted. Jesus wanted them to get away to rest because they couldn't even eat. And he says, come on, come on, just get away. People were hounding them so much that that he said, let's let's get away and, and rest a bit. So they got in a boat, and apparently they rested on a boat. Now that would be Allison's dream for tomorrow, just to get in a boat out on Jordan Lake, as my kids used to say when we would come down here from the mountains, we're crossing the Jordan River, you know, <clears throat> and she would love to just sit out there on a boat and get. As red as the sun will allow her to be. And that would be peaceful. And restful. Well perhaps they did it here. There's enough wiggle room in the text. Maybe they got to shore. And and rested somewhere on on land. Either way the crowd was waiting for them. When they were done with their short break. You get the sense that that the mission that the disciples had gone on had caught the attention of the people. And now, there's not only one miracle worker, there are 13, including Judas. Judas, you're going to have to deal with that somehow. I don't know how, but, but, but 13 of them are, are healing people and casting out demons. And so the crowds just continue to grow and grow. And don't you know the disciples were tired It's not too too difficult, though, to imagine that they were struggling with pride as well because of all the great things that God had done through them. You know how that is. You say, Lord, I am totally incapable of doing this. And then the Lord does this great thing through you. And it's like, well, now, I'm better than I thought I was, you know? So... Jesus, I'm sure, wanted them to gain a little bit of perspective. Apparently, the crowds were not yet aware that everything that had been done and would be done in the future by him or by his disciples was intended to point people to Jesus. It was, in fact, Jesus who recognized the deep needs of the people. And he began to teach them the word. That's interesting, isn't it? He saw their needs. They were coming to him sick, desperate, demon-possessed. He saw their needs, and he began to teach them. Now, that was probably not the reasons that the large crowds had gathered. And speaking of large crowds, just think about this. All of the local towns, Capernaum, uh, Gennesaret, Chorazin, Bethsaida, all of these Oh Ganessra a region Khor is in a town. all of these towns were were somewhere in the one to three thousand range, and now we 're just, just as a as a wild guess let 's say ten thousand people are out in this desolate place. You can imagine how much pressure there was on Jesus and all his disciples when all of these people wanted help, but Jesus taught them, and surely some Responded. Now, isn't that the way it is with us a lot of times? There's something that, that causes us to, to, that drives us to Jesus. Some physical, material need that we have that drives us to Jesus. We become desperate with a lost job or a, a relationship going sour. And we turn to the Lord. Now, I, I know that some people say, well, look, I, I don't want to use Jesus as a crutch. I've not really been walking with the Lord, and now this horrible thing has happened. I'm not going to be one of those kind. Look, that's exact. God does those things in your life for that very reason, to turn you to Him. And if you're not careful, you'll say, No, I can handle this myself. Once you start down the road of self-sufficiency, It's easy to become distant from God and the trials and even the failures in your life that God has designed to turn you to Him now begin to drive you away from the Lord. They have the opposite effect than the Lord intended. If you seek to reform your life before you turn to the Lord, And to make everything just like it ought to be before you turn to God. Then you'll be tempted to believe the truth that God is the one responsible for your troubles. And you are the one responsible for your solution. Wait a minute. He is the one responsible for your troubles. But if you do not trust his heart. Then. Then you may well begin to see Him as your enemy. Rather than recognizing that He always has your good in mind. Now look, I say that, and it's very true. It's really even more important for us, and we kind of saw this last week in the text, didn't we? That His kingdom... Is the most important thing. God's glory. More important than anything. But somehow. Amazingly. It's for our good. Everything that happens to us. His love. His intent. Is, His heart. Is for us. Not against us. Don't you wonder. What Jesus taught the crowds on that day. I mean, we know from the substantial records that we have of his teaching in other places that he surely taught them that their greatest need was spiritual. The greatest need men, women, boys and girls have is spiritual and relational in nature as in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. We don't tend to approach life that way. We say, I show you that I love you by doing this for you. It's not... Relational. It's one of the great problems of religion as opposed to relationship with Christ. Religion says, let me do this, this, and this, and then I will present myself to God. The fact is, we're not presentable. We never will be presentable in our current state. Every once in a while, i wear a suit. I went to a funeral on Monday. You know, people say, wow, you look good in a suit. You know, you clean up. I can't clean up enough to make myself presentable to God. And if my only hope is in Jesus and in a relationship with Jesus, why do I then begin once I accept that Jesus died on the cross for me and it's not my good works that make me acceptable, it's my faith in Him, why is it then that I begin to do everything in just functional ways? Jesus must have taught them on that day that real life is so much more than the food one eats or the clothes that one can afford. He would have taught them that <clears throat> God's great love for them is why they should treat one another As he treated them. And in the same way that you cannot judge a person's relationship with God. Based on how much or how little he has. And that, that was not only a big deal in that day. it's a big deal in our day. We look at somebody with, without very much. And with, with a lot of troubles. And we say wow I wonder if God is punishing them. I hope that thought never crosses your mind. I really do. You can't tell squat from that. You don't know what a person's relationship with God is like based on what he or she has. And by the way, the the, the people who preach the prosperity gospel and and are so wealthy, you know where the the money comes from, don't you? The poor. Hoping that life will be better. My life will be better. And Jesus is saying, ain't about that. And, And in the same way, you can't, Judge a person's relationship on the basis of what they're going through. You cannot judge God's love for you. Based on what you're going through. And we do. And we get frustrated. And hurt. And anything. Seems to put us in the wrong way. Anything that happens. In the life of, believer, of a believer. Is a sign of God's great love. For him or her. The question is. Will you rise to the level of trust. To which he's calling you. Maybe those were some of the thoughts that Jesus shared with the crowd on that day. I mean it wouldn't have sounded exactly like that. But but Jesus was always calling people. People. To trust the loving Father and His plan. He was likewise always pointing people to Himself. We can't do that. We're always pointing people away from us. We should be. But He was always pointing people to Himself because He was God. Jesus always told the truth. But he did so with a tender heart of mercy. As a shepherd whose heart tenderly cares for the sheep. He cared so deeply for them that he taught them for a long, long time. And my heart is so great toward you that we're just going to extend this today. And I'm going to teach for a long, long, no, I'm just kidding. It will... Depend on who's still here when I finish teaching. Well, the whole crowd was there that day, and apparently they were so deep in thought that they were not insistent that he get on with the healing. But they listened. That's a great place to be, isn't it? When you finally just say, Okay, Lord, what do I need to hear? And then Jesus addressed one of their needs, hunger. Actually, it was the disciples who saw the need and brought it to the Lord. Jesus, it's late. Tell these people they need to go get something to eat. They need to go somewhere else. They're, they're quiet right now, but they're, it's going to be a mess pretty soon. If we tell them, they won't listen. But if you tell them, they'll listen. It'd be the merciful thing to do, don't you think? Now, when you piece this account, by the way, are you aware that this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels? That's significant, don't you think? It's significant. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. And when we piece it all together, this event most likely occurred somewhere around March or April, the only time of the year where there's green grass in that particular section first time I ever went to Israel was in March early March it was spectacularly beautiful in Galilee the the green grass the red poppies so probably it's that time of the year and it was somewhere four to five in the afternoon when the disciples came to him and said we need to get these people moving now Jesus answer didn't didn't really sit well uh, with the disciples you give them something to eat that ever happened to you you know you say lord somebody needs to do something about so and so there's a need here and the lord says yeah right you do it Uh, you probably feel about like the disciples said how i don't have time i don't have resources i just what what do you what do you want from me now don't you just imagine that when jesus said you do it there's a little upward turn of the mouth you know he's kind of like all right you do it um, that exasperated the disciples even more. I mean, nobody had ever seen a crowd like this in, um, in 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 a desolate place in the in the wilderness like this, or in the in the countryside. Let's say it wasn't desolate; it was a beautiful area. But they um, uh, were, to to our knowledge, there's nowhere in scripture that gives us any indication that these guys were experienced in crowd control. They did know, though. That if they didn't get the crowd moving, as my grandfather would say, we're going to have trouble here directly. And Jesus was joking with them. And so they answered sarcastically, really? Really? Feed them? So we're going to spend three-fourths of a year's salary, of a man's salary, to get some bread and feed these people one meal. Well, what do you have? We got five loaves of bread, two fish, measly salty fish. Then let's get started. Organize the people. This story mirrors what Moses did for God's people in his day. Caring for the people like shepherd caring for sheep, like a shepherd caring for sheep organizing them into manageable groups and then feeding them with bread that just wasn't there. But as we're going to see, Jesus is so much greater than Moses. And the comparisons may not mean that much to us, but they would have to some of the Jews in that crowd today. It's almost all Jews there that day. And and it certainly would mean something to those Jews who were reading Mark's account later of the miracle. They would have made the connection. Now while we can easily identify with the disciples skepticism. We need to get over it. Because Jesus always calls. On those who follow him to do the impossible. We're told. To forgive without limit. We're told to love. To love our enemies. His impossible commands force us to learn to depend totally on Him. His call is always precisely to the level of our inadequacy, says Michael Card. So true. Think about that for a moment. His call is always precisely to the level of of our inadequacy. We don't get a lot of rest in this life. We can rest at the end. Remember. But it's like we, 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 we cross one hurdle. And then there's another. And then another. And more than anything else. God is calling us. To trust. So Jesus blessed the God. Who brings bread from the ground he would have given that kind of prayer and the food was distributed and you know the story there was more than enough barely more than enough but that's kind of the way of it isn't it i mean you get a get a little bonus from work or you have come into a little bit of unexpected money and you're spending it in 10 different ways and the next day the transmission goes out you know, And you don't get the carpet that you had wanted to, to get, but you've got gas in the car, you've got a car that will change gears and you can go back and forth to work and that puts food on the table. And only in 21st century West do we take such things for granted. It's significant that the text says that people ate and were satisfied. I, I can imagine as they ate this unexpected free meal, that their hearts were full, having heard the words of life from the author of life. Can you imagine? I mean, it'd be like us going to a well-conceived, a well-produced play or film, and then going out with good friends to a meal, and lingering at the meal. And by the way, it didn't cost anything. It was all given to you. It it was like that, and, and yet better beyond degrees that we can even imagine. They were deeply satisfied with the whole of the day until they thought, hey, wait a minute. There was no food here, and he fed us. He fed this entire crowd with almost nothing. Now, Jesus' miracle created a stir. Do you think more people in the in the crowd that day, needed to be fed or needed to be healed. I mean, we all need food, right? There are some of you here this morning with some significant medical issues, and my heart just goes out for you just like Jesus did. And, and he was healing everywhere he could. And by the way, that's a wonderful thing, and I pray for a healing for many of you who have these needs, these physical needs. Everybody here this morning is going to have to eat. If not today, soon. Again, it's one of those things we take for granted. These people didn't take that for granted. Look, this was a group of, this was a people that not only were concerned about finding food from day to day to live, they didn't know if they could find enough water to get by, fresh water at times. Jesus knew what was in their hearts. I mean, if these people had been interested in making Jesus king before. Now there was potential for an absolute frenzy to make him king. The bread king, in fact. No wonder Jesus hustled his disciples into the boat and out onto the lake. He didn't want his disciples to be swept up in this messianic fever of saying, make him king, he's our leader, because that's not why he came. He will come as that one day. But that's not why he came. His deep care and compassion for the needs of the people made him move past the miracles that he had just performed and so he sent his disciples into a brewing storm and then quickly moved to be alone in the mountain so that he could pray. You ever picked up on that? That Jesus sent his disciples? into the storm. Now, this was not the fierce kind of storm Mark, in Mark 4 that we read about that, that looked like they would all die. But it was nonetheless frustrating as they were, they were working like mules and had nothing to show for it. All night long they had rowed and didn't get anywhere. But Jesus saw them. Now, now did, he's on the mountain. They're in the, they're in the lake. Maybe on a beautiful, clear day, you can look out there and you can see what's going on. But not at night in a storm. Jesus saw them because he always sees what we're going through. And he knows what we're going through because he sent us into the storm. So Jesus sent them into the storm. He sent them in the storm, into the storm. He saw them in the storm and he went to them. In the storm, does that sound familiar in your life? They didn't know though that it was God who came to them in the storm. I, I mean, they thought that things had gone from bad to much, much worse because a ghost was walking on the water, and they did what every single one of us would have done: they squealed like stuck pigs, as we would say in the South, or as we would also say in the South, they hollered. I mean, they ah. And Jesus immediately identified himself with words that say literally in the Greek, I am no fear. So maybe those are words that you need to hear right this minute. I am no fear. Jesus identified himself as the God who came to Moses in the burning bush, the God who loves, protects, and fights for his covenant people. Why were the disciples so fearful? According to our text, it was because they didn't trust the tender heart of the truth teller. Well, that fits nicely with the title of the message, but it's true. They didn't trust the one who had given them words of life. Words that reminded them that this life is not all there is. And words that reminded them that their heavenly father cares deeply for them even when life says otherwise. And even when they fail to believe. That's convicting, isn't it? (laughs) The disciples had set out, for Bethsaida on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee as you look at it on the map. But they only made it to Gennesaret, which is on the northwest corner of the day, maybe because of the storm, you know, maybe that's just as far as they could get. They just cut off a little corner of the lake. And later in the day we read in John 6 that they went to Capernaum. You know, the, the gospel writers weren't so much concerned with chronology of events as they were creating uh, themes that we could Get in chunks and understand in chunks of truth. It was well connected, but but this seems to be uh, both here and in John six. Boom, boom, boom. This is what happened. He feeds the five thousand. They get into the storm on the night on, on the lake in the night. Jesus comes to them, and and then the next day they come to these crowds that are that are coming to Jesus to have their physical needs met. And spiritual needs, as in people being uh demon possessed, and then Jesus has a conversation with the crowds um it's not recorded in mark and by the way what a what a beautiful word that that Jesus compassion just overwhelmed him and he healed and he met the needs of the of the people there. But then he begins to have a conversation. It's not recorded here. It is recorded in John 6. Um, There's just no way we have time to go over to John 6 and look at all of that. But if you're in home group, you're going to think about that extensively. And I just want to give a summary of what Jesus said to the people in John 6. For the most part, up to this point, uh, Jesus' interactions with the crowds has been all positive. They listen to him. He meets their needs. They're very pleased with him. And most of Jesus' negative comments have been reserved for the religious leaders who were smug in their misunderstanding of the truth and in their self-righteousness. Now Jesus is going to begin to challenge those who thought highly of him. And he's saying, look, I'm not sure you're getting the point here. Well, of course, Jesus knew that. I'm saying that as we would say it. You're not getting the point. There's more than just what is in front of our faces about life. So, summarizing what transpired as recorded in John 6. First of all, Jesus rebuked the people for looking to Him to satisfy their personal needs and desires. Now look, we we all have needs and we're driven to meet those needs. Needs. It's not that that's wrong, but this seemed to be the end game for these people. All they wanted was Jesus to just, you know, you know the old old prayer. You've prayed it yourself many times, Lord. If you will just get me out of this one jam, I will do this and that. It's kind of like a bargain that we're trying to make with God. And people who were healed, made better, whatever, I'm certain were. Grateful for what Jesus had done, but they didn't take the next step. They didn't go to the next place that they wanted, that Jesus wanted them to. And, and, and Jesus told them directly in John 6, he said, look, you're following me. Not, not because the gifts, the, the miracles that I do authenticate the message that I'm preaching. But you came to me, or you're coming to me now because I gave you food to eat and your stomachs were filled. So Jesus challenged them to pursue Him, not for food that sustains the body, but because He has the words of life. The second thing that He said to them in John 6 is that He presented Himself to the crowds as the bread of life. Over and over, it's recorded in the, in the Gospels. It's very clear to us in John. It's not as clear in the other three Gospels, but it's there where He says, I am Again, connecting himself with Yahweh from Exodus 3, 4. He's already done it in the Mark text today. I am, no fear. It's not written quite like that in our text. But in John, it's written over and over. And he says, I am the bread of life. He contrasted himself with Moses essentially saying that, you know, it wasn't Moses that gave the people manna. It was God. And since I am God, I am the one who fed the people then. I'm feeding you now. And I'm telling you, there is more to life than the bread that goes in your mouth and into your stomach. Since he was God, he was fully within his rights to address them as directly as he did. How directly? Well, Jesus called his followers to commune with him at the most intimate levels. John 6 records these difficult words. Imagine that you're in the crowd and you hear this that day. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, you may find this hard to believe, but a lot of people who had been following Jesus to this point walked away that day. I mean, they thought they, thought they were walking away. Because he was crazy. That's why they said, man's crazy. I can't can't do this anymore. I'm leaving. But ultimately they walked away because he told them truth and they rejected it. Jesus then turned to the twelve and he says, do you want to go away also? And that beautiful confession of Simon Peter, Lord, you have the words of life. To whom shall we go? You know, one of the things that you don't pick up, Mark's gospel really could be called Peter's gospel. We've talked about that a lot. I've talked about that a lot. In saying that, you know, Peter was the inspiration and and the source of information for Mark as he wrote. There are a lot of good things said about Peter in other places that are not stated in Mark. Uh, Peter, as far as we can tell, was a humble guy. What What a beautiful... Model for us, you have the words of life. To whom shall we go? We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a good response. And that's application for both you and me. Believe in Jesus when life makes no sense at all believe him when his ways make no sense at all to you receive the truth as he has given the ultimate truth teller has given to us jesus he cares deeply for you and he cares too deeply for you to allow your life to go just as you've planned it, just as you want it to go, with no bumps in the road, no trials, no troubles. He's not going to allow your fleshly desires to get in the way of His kingdom, nor will He allow the good things in your life to come. At the expense of the food that really matters. Not just the food. Of God's word. But nourishment. In Jesus himself. So believe. You don't have to work yourself up. Into some psychological state of mind. Look the prayer. I, I, I believe help my unbelief. That's a good prayer but just accept the word of the Father just in the same way a child believes his father and mother. Let's pray. You know, when you think about what's taught in the Gospels, you think a lot about all the activity you think about the conflict, and you think about the energy surrounding Jesus. But He came to give us eternal life. And He came to give us life to the full, abundant life. Not in ways that sometimes make sense to us or to anybody else. But Jesus longs to feed you with himself. And and by the way, if you are in a home group, you're going to look at that John 6 passage and it'll begin to make sense to you, I hope. If you're not in a home group, contact me, email me, and I will email you the notes that I've sent to the leaders that explain to the best of my understanding, and at least in a, uh, an abbreviated form, what Jesus was talking about. Are you nourished? With the bread of life. Or is there something else or are there many things? That get the full focus of your attention, the full energy Of your heart and mind and and life. Sometimes he. Brings. Difficult things. Sometimes he sends us into storms. That are designed. To turn our hearts to him. And so I encourage you to look to him and through your tears if necessary to say I trust you I believe help my unbelief as a prayer speak as you go out Remember that the God of the New Testament, the God that came and lived among us, was the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God doesn't change. Uh, Let's listen to the words of of the psalmist, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. This week, church, wait for the Lord.